Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 5, Episode 6, Trials and Tribulations. Or Tribulations? Tribulations. <laughs> it's Tribulations, yes. <laughs> but before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and X as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is correct, and as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are great, we are awesome, we are a good time, and I think that you will really enjoy us if you do, once you get used to us anyway. I know we can be a little unusual sometimes, but um, other than that, we're, we're pretty awesome people, I would say. Um, so yes, as David has told you, all the various ways in which you can find us and follow us, you, and as I said, you should do so. All that's well and good and great, as you can tell, I'm actually really excited because this episode is awesome. There's so much <laughs> that we're going to get to talk about tonight, and I can't can't wait okay so to that end we're gonna just jump right into our our stuff david how was your week uh it was okay uh thanksgiving was good this thanksgiving week thanksgiving that's was right great. thanksgiving that's, um, that's correct so thanksgiving on the day of thanksgiving is we me and my dad went and saw the napoleon movie as i mentioned i read the biography beforehand um there was so much in his life that they just didn't have any time to get to that it's just disappointing because i they chose to re- to do more with his relationship with his wife or his first wife than they did with anything else, um, or at least that was the main focus. And in my opinion, his relationship with his wife is one of the least interesting things about him. <laughs> a man who was a great general, and you only get to see like maybe five battles that he was ever a part of, and like, it, ugh, man, if I could have gone, if I could have directed it, I would have chosen a very different way of telling the story, but. It was fine, not bad, not terrible, but it's getting middling, middling reviews. Mm. Nothing great. I mean, it was like sixty-one percent, so it's not great on Rotten Tomatoes. But anyway, mm. that was fun to see. Uh, work has been has been frustrating, unfortunately. Black Friday is mostly big sale uh, for us, and it has been big for other stores, but my store it's been just unfortunately just kind of a kind of in a rut right now. So I don't know what's up with that. Uh, if there's anything that needs to be changed, but uh, for the moment, that's just how it is. Other than that, started with War and Peace. So many characters in War and Peace. I'm only 50 pages in. And, you know, if you've read The Count of Monte Cristo, you know that there are a lot of characters in these old-timey books. And this is certainly one where I'm taking notes. I'm like, this person is related to that person, who's married to that person, whose father is that person, whose son-in-law is that person. Uh, I don't know the place, but looking forward to reading more of that. Well, as I said, you know, let me know when you actually get to the Count of Monte Cristo. I think I have officially decided to go ahead and reread with you. So, um, yeah, just... 100%. Um, huh? 100%. I will let you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah, let me know, because I would... Um, yeah, I, I'm going to enjoy doing that. I did also go and rescue my copy of uh, The Expanse, uh, a Nemesis game, so I can continue that, because um, I had accidentally packed it away, and so I had to go and get that. Um, my week has been... 
Um, rather uneventful. Um, you know, we had, again, we had Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was great. Um, spending it with um, family, extended family, and so forth. Taught the uh, niece and nephew some new uh, recipes this year. Um, trying to get that kind of, you know, culinary experience out there for them. And, yeah, otherwise, right. we just pretty much had a great time, you know, being around each other. So um, I hope everybody also enjoyed their holiday coming back into um, work and stuff. I did have to work on Black Friday, but it was probably the easiest day of work because I think everybody else, like my job depends so much on other businesses doing things. And so Black Friday, a lot of places were shut down and so just there was very little for me to do so i was like hey today's a free money day get to just sit here and you know twiddle my thumbs basically um but yeah i mean uh now coming back into you know getting into the full swing of things we've got you know christmas is looming and a bunch of changes over here on my end which you know we'll get into as it gets closer to some things and then just you know january will be when a lot of stuff really kicks off here with the move and so forth but um yeah i'm looking forward to all those things in the future but we'll get to that when that time comes for now we are here to talk about this great episode so this was um the 30th anniversary of trek episode as a matter of fact and this was one that they knew was coming up they were trying to figure out a way to make a great uh 30th anniversary episode a nice tribute episode and they couldn't really figure out what they wanted to do they knew they wanted to revisit some things from you know older trek but they weren't sure what that was going to be and there's a great story about how it came about that they actually got to this particular story so we're going to get into all of that um but first would you like me to give the recap or do you oh you're 100 percent the recap there's no question okay okay Okay. so all right all right guys um hope you like the sound of my voice i'm about to do a lot of talking all right so I will try to be succinct because, again, this is a great episode. You should, if there's ever an episode of Deep Space Nine to watch, this is definitely one you should watch and rewatch. It's a lot of fun. It has a different tone than a lot of the other episodes of Deep Space Nine. And um, and also a different tone of a lot of the other treks that were going on during this time period. You know, Next Generation had just finished. Voyager was still, you know, kind of finding its feet here, you know. So with all these treks that were kind of, you know... Uh, companions of each other this had a very different tone to it um so um yeah definitely one you should go and check out so uh this episode it starts with um these two guys coming on to the station and they're very serious dressed in all black and they're looking for captain cisco to talk about an incident that has that has occurred and we're not really sure what the incident is but we know these guys are from the temporal investigations unit for starfleet and so they you know make it to the station they go to captain cisco and they begin to question him about this incident which we now find out is that the defiant accidentally went back in time and, you know, they asked him a bunch of silly questions like, do you believe that you were predestined to go back in time or was this an accident or not? And he's and Cisco's like, no, it was an accident. This was, you know, whatever. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're very dour individuals. Yes. Going to tell you some stuff about them later on, too. But, um, yeah, they are they're just very, you know, very serious kind of I, I had some like dragnet vibes from them their whole kind of just the facts. Yeah. We're just here for the truth. Don't sugarcoat anything, you know. Yeah. Um, so. 
so they Cisco begins to tell them what happened. Uh, the Cardassians had a orb that they wanted to give back to the Bajoran people. Um, Cisco and company had been tasked to take the Defiant to go um, and get this thing, mainly because of the war that's still going on with the um, um, Klingons. They can use the cloaking device to get to Cardassia, pick up the orb, and come back. Uh, they needed to be verified because they weren't sure if this was a fake orb or a real orb or whatever, but uh, they go anyway and do this. They pick up the orb, and in the process of picking up the orb, they get a traveler, a, um, a merchant who had been trapped behind the Cardassian uh, border when all the war and skirmishes and stuff like that with the Klingons broke out. This guy comes on and he's very um he's very pro human. <laughs> Let's yes. just say he's very pro human. He's quite rude about Cardassians. He's even ruder about Klingons. He's this old guy. I'm trying to remember what his name um Barry something. Barry Waddle, I think it was his name. And he's human and he um again, he's very rude and 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 he says some kind of you know, racist e things about uh, <laughs> Cardassians and Klingons and so forth. And Worf is like standing right there and it's just like, you can tell he, they're all just kind of really annoyed by this guy. So now they've got the orb, they've got Barry, they're heading back to the station when all of a sudden everything goes this kind of bright golden orangey color and uh, they find themselves 200 light years away from their previous uh, location and you know the view screen's not working and then they finally get it working and uh, the Enterprise, the original Enterprise is directly in front of them. And um, someone beams over uh, somewhere, but they've scrambled the log. Uh, but it, it didn't take them long to realize that it was Barry who beamed himself over. And they are like, okay, trying to figure out what's going on. Why are we a hundred and something years in the past? And so they begin to piece things together and they realize that Barry Waddle is not really Barry Waddle. He's actually a guy named Arvin. Was that his name? Uh, or Dar Darvin. Um, Darvin. Darvin. Arne, Darvin. Arne, yes, Arn Darvin was his name. And so it turns out that all these, you know, years ago, 100 years ago, Arn Darvin was on this space station with the Enterprise when there was a um, shipment of a particular grain which um, he was going to uh, poison because it turns out Arn Darvin is actually a Klingon who's been surgically altered to look human. And so his whole thing was to um, poison this grain to make relations with the Klingons and the Federation really kind of tick off and start a war then. But James Kirk, in command of the Enterprise then, with the help of Spock and company and these little cute little furry critters that we later learn are, are Tribbles, um, exposed Darwin and uh, basically send him into exile. Worf lays out his whole history of how he basically just kind of falls into ill repute with the Klingons because his mission failed. And after that, he just kind of was eking out a living as a BS merchant. Right. So now he's traveled back in time to alter the alter the history so that he can change his future. And when Worf and Odo eventually catch up to him, he's saying, yeah, he's he's programmed one of the tribbles with a bomb to explode killing everybody and thus you know wiping out one of the greatest heroes in history 
James Kirk. Right. And, uh, you know, he even says, just think of it, there'll be a statue of me in the Hall of Heroes with a triple in one hand and something Kirk's in the head. other. Kirk's, Kirk's head, head in the other. other. Yeah, that's what he says. And um, so now it's a race against time to find which triple has the bomb in it. And as Dax calculates and later Spot calculates, there are millions of these things on the station and they're just their numbers are growing exponentially because of this grain that's being stored on the space station the triples are eating the grain and as they eat it they just kind of you know kind of like uh trolls you know they they consume and then they reproduce consume and reproduce and they're everywhere so eventually uh dax and cisco are able to track down the bomb they beam it off of the station it blows up in space they arrest the old darvin and allow the young darvin to be exposed by kirk as he originally was supposed to be exposed by kirk and they kira is on the defiant she figures out how to use the orb to get them home they go back home and that's kind of the end of it he wraps the story up with the with the temporal agents they're like okay great you didn't really do anything to mess up the timeline we're glad to hear you didn't do anything mess up the timeline Uh, but they're also giving like a warning like don't do it again like don't mess with time james kirk is already famous for messing with time don't (laughs) don't do it 17 infractions the most of anyone ever yeah which is hilarious to me because I mean I've watched I was watching those episodes like you know what there are a lot of time travel episodes with with the, with the Enterprise um, <laughs> something about but, whales yeah that's I mean that's nothing there's a whole other thing where they go back to the they go back to the 60s like twice um, you know so yeah there's and then they go to the 30s in one point like there's a lot of stuff that they do with time travel in the original series yeah, yeah. um. So, yeah, so they're basically like, don't do it again, and and that's it. Now, in the original episode, The Trouble with Tribbles, when the crew finally figured out how to wrangle up the Tribbles and, you know, get rid of them, Scotty actually beamed them onto the Klingon ship, because, as we learned in this episode, Tribbles and Klingons do not get along. (laughs) So they thought it would be a very funny parting gift to beam all the Tribbles to the Klingons. Well, as we see at the end of this episode, that's not where the Tribbles actually end up. The Tribbles are actually diverted, and um, basically the Defiant brings them home and uh, brings them to the station where they flourish and are everywhere. And apparently everybody seems to love them. And there's also a little bit in there about how they, you know, kind of reestablish a, um, a planet, a homeworld for the Tribbles. Because as Worf also told us, the Klingons eradicated the Tribbles and the Tribble homeworld centuries ago. Yes. So, so from what we can see here from the two stories, this is actually kind of keeping with Star Trek tradition of using time travel to go back in time and save an endangered species, bring it forward in time, drop it off and let it let go it do, do whatever thing. with itself. Yeah, that's kind of the whole synopsis of the the one with the whales, the movie with the whales. That's kind of what happens there in that situation. So we get a little bit of that here, too. So that is essentially the episode. Again, there's a lot that we're going to get into with this. I just wanted to give that kind of more succinct whatever. Right. You should go and watch it. And there, again, we're getting ready to get into a lot of these bits here because this is a great episode to break down. So before we do all of that, though, um, David, I want to ask you, what did you think of this episode? Now, before you answer that question, though, I have to ask, have you watched any of the original series at all? 
I've never seen a full episode of the original series. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this this was. I mean, this episode is pure nostalgia bait. Member berries from South Park. Whole thing nine yards. But of course, that's the whole point. They're not hiding that. They're not. Yeah, they're not. They're not at all. It's an anniversary episode. It's the whole point. So Mm. I'll just say it right up front. The story in this episode is a little lackluster in part because they're trying to match. I mean, the, the, the real technical feat they do here is they put our current cast in scenes with the previous show uh, the original shows cast. series yeah from 30 years ago 30 right. plus years ago they, they've got them in the background and in some cases even interacting a little bit with yes. kirk and spock yes. and so forth there's yes a, um, there's a point where o'brien and bashir are standing in line with other uh other crew members because they're getting a dressing and, gown and, from kirk and kirk actually questions o'brien and he yes. answers him yes and um yeah jadzia has a you know kind of a facetime moment with with kirk on the bridge right. and then we see cisco at the end he gets his also yes. his his meeting with the legendary captain kirk um yeah. he, they uh, talk about that a lot the 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 techniques to get all of these things to match up a lot of that stuff had just recently been invented they hadn't been able to do it in fact they said that um they use a lot of the same filming techniques as were used in the movie forrest gump to get this stuff Ah, done so and forrest gump came out in like 95 i think 95 around around the same time yeah yeah Yeah. so shortly after that movie came out they used the same techniques to do this episode here so very quick very very quick very short leap from that to this yeah, and we'll go ahead. I just want to mention because you already you mentioned it. The end of the episode where Cisco is talking to Kirk is as seamless as you could get it. I mean, they take Kirk talking to someone, and Cisco is the one that responds. Um, Cisco at the end of the episode when he puts on the outfit of the old timeline, he says, "Oh, I just made myself a lieutenant. Didn't want to push my luck. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not a captain." Um, and so he as lieutenant. Cisco, I mean, it never says his name, but he just says he's a lieutenant. He gives Kirk the roster for the day and uh, says, it's, it's a pleasure serving with you, sir. And it's a great little moment because you want your characters to interact with the old characters. You do. You want that moment. You really do. That's and like, so that's like the highlight. Yeah. The, yeah. They wait until the very end to give us that real, that real moment. Um, earlier in the episode when uh, Dax had seen Kirk and Spock, she comments about how piercing his eyes are and cisco thinks she's talking about kirk but no she's talking about spock um they both as you said they give the same number one million seven hundred seventy six thousand something 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 uh tribbles based on this time frame so it's fun moment you know they're both the science officers to their own captains so in that moment uh that's actually what they're you're actually showing us is that dax and cisco and spock and kirk and uh, the way that they're the counterparts of each other, right. it's it's great. So but, I will tell you, as as any hard as any diehard fan will tell you, yes, that is what we want. We we would love for the older crews to be able to interact with the newer crews. Yes. We know that it's not possible because of you know time and money and and all of those things. You know, it, it's going to make those exceedingly difficult death. Unfortunately, you know was you know going to be a part of it but it is something that we always want we would love to see these characters interact and that is one thing about long-running franchises like this which is there's very few of them but long-running franchises that can do that um i they, they just are amazing like the only one i can think of that does it continuously and does it well will be doctor who they're mm-hmm. constantly bringing back together doctors and having right. them interact He's with each other and, stuff. Yep. and it's 
And it's great. It's great every time they do it. It doesn't diminish the individual doctors. Um, they, it's it's a lot of fun. Right. Um, and it's just like that's the one thing that Star Trek has never really done a lot of is having these crossovers with crews. And yeah, um, it, that is a certain objection yeah. I would bring up. I mean, the fact that even though Deep Space Nine ran with TNG for like three seasons, right? Yeah. And they never, but only had one episode where, oh, well, there's the pilot, and then there's only one other episode that ever had any sort of Deep Space Nine crossover. Yeah. That's like, it's but, frankly but criminal. Like, and we talked about that. You know, we, we never really see Cisco and Picard team up, truly team up and have to right. work together, which they really so should have. They, yeah. they occupy two different spaces. They're not two opposing captains on two opposing ships. He's a, a cap or Cisco's a captain on a, on a, on a, a base, a star base. So he can be the guy coordinating ships. Oh, but the enterprise, the enterprise is the only ship. Like they always are in range of this planet. I need you to go do the thing. You know, yeah. it could have worked. I honestly it was, think, I honestly think an admiral, honestly, it's Cisco should be an admiral in terms of like his placement. Like, if he's able to direct mm-hmm. ships, like I'm at the station, I direct ships from the station about how to operate in the sector. But you know, whatever, fine. So there, um, there are some. I will tell you because there are some things that are coming up. Well, no spoilers, but there, but there are some times where, when things happen, you do find yourself wondering where's the Enterprise, because they do op- they occupy the same space time. They're not. That's not like one was a hundred years ago or whatever. They operate in the same space time, and you know the the in universe explanation for a lot of the absences of the Enterprise to some of the major goings on on Deep Space Nine has always been that the Enterprise is a ship of exploration. It was always about going into the furthest frontier. So yes, right. even while it's there, it's out there. It's often so far removed right. that by the time they could be anywhere to make any difference, the thing would be over. Right, yeah, um, exactly. That's how However, I yeah, yeah, however, again, there are some things that are getting ready to happen that are major events <laughs> and it's just like, mm, yeah. That ship should have been recalled for sure. Yeah. Should well, have been recalled for sure. You mentioned so, it's interesting you mentioned that though because in this episode when they find out that it's the Enterprise that they see on the view screen when they go back in time, they ask which one is it? And he says it's the first one, and they're like, "Oh man!" Yeah, he say? was like, "He said they're, the which he's a which, which one?" There have been five, and then and the, the other guy said, says six, six. So this is in the middle of that, like I guess the next movie. What is it? First contact yeah. that first uh, contact, yes. which is the one where they reintroduce the new Enterprise, the new the, Enterprise. Yes. So that makes sense that they're in the middle of building, and um, mm-hmm. again, you have to remind me when it's time to watch the next movie. So um, it's coming. We're getting closer. We are yeah. getting closer. Um. And yes, when he says, no, it was the first one, the original Enterprise, and they were just like, oh, <laughs> his his ship. Yeah. The You know, the thing about it is, like, you know, Kirk is one of those characters who, when you hear about him from the perspective of other people like these guys and Cisco and Picard and Jane Wayne and so forth, he does have such a legendary status and he gets you know he's been called a cowboy in space and all this other kind of stuff but when you go and you actually like watch the stuff he's actually he's he's very smooth he's very calm he doesn't necessarily come off as the most 
um, knowledgeable or the smartest person in the room, but he is a person who is very much aware of his own capabilities, and he's he's completely confident in what he can do, right. and 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 of his team, he a hundred percent believes that he has the right skills, the right people, the right ship, that all of his stuff is unerringly correct. And even if he doesn't get it himself, somebody on his team will. And you know, that's an aspect of him that I actually really like because hes I don't feel like he's arrogant at all. He just believes so intensely in everybody that he works with and everything that he brings to the table that there's just, he's, he's unflappable. That's, that's his whole thing. Right. So, you know, some people like to say, oh, no, he's such a cat. He's such a, you know, this. It's like, no, he's just, he's very secure in his position as captain. He he doesn't worry about anything. Right. So, and I think that's kind of what we see a little bit in this episode, too, is like, I mean, we don't get to see him a whole lot. But, like, every time that you do see him, he's just kind of, like, swaggering through the hallways and stuff. And Spock yeah. is right here. Yeah. You know, it's like this. This man, he's he's walking like he is in his prime. This is oh, his element, man. He he's eating it up. Like, yes, so hard. The yeah. man is eating it up. He is just ah. <laughs> yeah, that classic one-liner at the end of the episode, where it's again, it's Kirk, and all the tribbles are falling on him. I says, "I want you to do two things. One, I forget what he says, and two, close that door." <laughs> yes. <laughs> So like, so cheesy, so campy, so so just you know, sixties, seventies humor. It's is it, I mean, again, by trying to make our Deep Space Nine cast and story fit with the old episode, it has to sacrifice some things to make that happen. But because mm-hmm. it does, it gives us a lot more fun, extra, unique things that we wouldn't get otherwise. Um, yes. Apparently, I you correct me if I'm wrong here, but I understand that the pitch. For why we'll go, they were to go back to this episode is it would explain why Kirk kept having tribbles falling on his yes. head. During yes, it that does. Final yes, it Dax does. Because Dax and Cisco kept yes. tossing them over. So, so we're gonna we're gonna I'm, might as well since we brought it up we'll explain that episode explain that scene. So, in the original episode when they are. Um, they're investigating what's going on with the tribbles in the grain. They come to one of these grain silos where everything is stored, and it won't. The door won't open. It's just so jam packed tight in there. It won't open. So, no, I'm sorry. Kirk is trying to open it, and he does finally. But instead of grain spilling out as they expected, it's just tribbles. It's hundreds and hundreds of tribbles are raining down out of here. So then as he is, you know, standing there now in this mound of tribbles, um, little ones keep kind of every so often one would fall out. One would, one would drop on him and everything else. Now in the original episode, when they were filming it, there's actually a film crew that's standing up there and they were just having a great time dropping tribbles on, (laughs) on William Shatner randomly. They just, they just thought it was fun to just every so often would drop one out there. And it was, it was funny and it worked, you know, but now in this episode, we see another explanation for that, which is Dax and Cisco are in the set in the silo, which also would explain the added weight and why the thing won't open. And they are scanning for the triple that has the bomb in it. Right. So when Kirk opens the door and all the other uh, triples and stuff fall out, Dax and Cisco are still sitting in there. So they're scanning and tossing, scanning and tossing. Yep. And as they're tossing them, they're coming out, and those are the ones that are hitting Kirk in the head. It's actually Cisco <laughs> and Dax in there. So if if you ever go back and watch the original episode, um, you you will see that now. 
Here is one thing that they have not done, which I kind of wish they would do, is since they've gone back and remastered the original series episodes, I would love it if they went to this episode, the the original version of it, and remastered it, and just in those few places where they had spliced in the Deep Space Nine crew they for this episode, they spliced them in in this one. Then and it and it there's only like really like two scenes where it would matter, you know, like right. again there's the well okay. three because there's the well, O'Brien and and Bashir getting the dressing down from Kirk when they're standing in the row, um, uh the bar fight scene where they would have been just kind of in the background somewhere. And then the scene where they're like standing in the hallway and Cisco and Dax are looking at, at Kirk, just have them kind of right there. And that would, that would be it. I think that it would be, it would be so great. And maybe they can do it and have like two options. You can watch the original and then have that one. Yeah. But yeah, that would be great. There's one other scene. The first time they truly do the, our characters are in the background type situation is when um, Ahura is at the bar and she sees the triple for the first time and uh, uh, Odo, Odo is in morphed. the background. Or, yeah, it's just Odo at first. Oh, just Odo, yes. But he's he's in the background and that's where they first, at least the first time I noticed it, really that they spliced yeah. the two images together. Um, yeah. Yeah, that um, that would be just so. That would just be a nice little little be. treat for for yeah. fans, you know. Um, <laughs> and it does, and they wouldn't take away. It doesn't take anything away from the ep- actual episode. That's true because they keep everything the same. Everything happens the mm-hmm. same as it should have happened. Now, uh, the only thing that they would have to do though is they would have to add in the scene where Cisco and uh, Kirk. Uh, exchange pleasantries because that part is not actually from the uh trouble with triples episode that was actually spliced from another episode which is also a famous episode in its own right it's where the crew the original uh, tos crew went to the mirror universe for the first time and that was actually the end of that episode and he takes the place cisco is taking the place of the young lieutenant that kirk originally talks to in that scene so they would have to change that out to include it in there but um other than that everything else could remain the same yeah yeah Yeah. i figured that that scene if any scene was not from this episode for that reason to make the whole cisco scene work you have to make sure you find the right right moment um but yeah i um i've mentioned before that time travel stories for me are a bugaboo because i I'm very particular about how you do my time travel stories. So mm-hmm. I like, on the first hand, I like that we have a a group. You know, these two guys are from the time. Were they from the uh, the, the temporal ta- the department um, of de- temporal investigations? TDI. Um, I love that there's a there's an organization for that now. Um, I don't know if they've always been there. We just never heard about them, and now we probably get to meet them. Or if this is like they they they've had so many issues, we we had to make a department. Well. And they had to figure it out. Um, but it's a great addition because it's hilarious. Well, depending on how you look at it as a temporal agent, depending on how you look at it as a temporal agency, they've always existed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Reminds me of, uh, things like, uh, the adjustment bureau, that Matt Damon movie, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the men in black hats in the background, keeping everything in line. Um, because it actually, the episode, I guess it was, was it last season or two seasons ago when Cisco and Bashir were stuck on earth in the past and there was that two-parter. I think that um, was, I think that was season, was that season three? 
I think it's three. That's what my guess would be. Yeah. But Cisco, who knew the history of the time, had to take the place of one of the Gabriel Bell. Yeah, one of the guys who like is 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 his death or his or his participation in the early part is what supposedly caused the riots to happen. So when that guy dies, then Cisco takes his place, and so his mm. name is there. And then just I think last season we had the guy who thought he was the um, the emissary, you know, yes. that Cisco wasn't. He was, and when he goes back to his time, suddenly his poetry and his his works of literature are completed, and Kira is enjoying the completed works now. And but she she recognizes that there were previously unfinished works, and now these are the finished versions, which causes all kinds of questions. <laughs> How does that happen? Yeah. Time and space, blah blah blah. But I like that this one pulls off the we went back in time and you know it, it we just we had to fix things we didn't change anything it wasn't about you know saving jfk from assassination type storyline right it was, it was we're preserving it we're yeah we we already know this is what happens we're gonna just make sure that this is what happens right so exactly. so that's, now talking about since we're gonna talk about how this happened, I would go ahead and tell the backstory of how this episode actually happened. Great. Yeah. So, um, as I said early on, this they knew that the 30th anniversary of Star Trek was coming up, and they wanted to figure out a way to honor that history. And so they were looking for um, something that they could do that would kind of allow them to, you know, do this. And so they were looking at old episodes. They were trying to figure out where they could go with some things. And, um, you know, they talked about doing something with like the city on the edge of forever, which, you know, is another classic TOS episode, but that one has a very, you know, it's kind of a dark somber tone to it. And that's not really where they wanted to go when talking about a celebration. Right. So, um, while they were arguing and debating on what they were going to do and where they were going to do all this stuff and everything, this the writing team and some of the other producers went to a pizza parlor and were discussing ideas and who should happen to be in the pizza parlor but the actor who played Arn Darvin all the way back in the 60s. <laughs> so now they're talking about which actors they could bring back and kind of being like, you know, who's still alive right. and we can do things with. And here's this guy sitting here with his wife eating pizza. And so they just like, you know, they, they're talking about Star Trek. He hears Star Trek. He, they, they all, you know, kind of, they do the introductions. They know who he is. They're talking about it. And before long, they've got this idea to bring his character back and to right. do this story. Yes. And it's, it's, it's interesting because you, you know, like, what are the odds? Yeah. They had just happened to walk into the one pizza parlor where this oh. guy happens to be with his wife, you know, and, and they're having their own lunch. And even the guy um, who plays Arn Darvin, um, he says, um, he, when he tells the story, he ends it with uh, his nice little joking line of, I'm glad that we chose to have pizza instead of Chinese that day. <laughs> Um, so, so, you know, it's a nice little tribute here to the original and being able to rework with this guy again and bring this character back and give him a different, uh, a different kind of ending for sure. Um, and it's, it's such a great story for them to do. And then, you know, they, they faithfully recre uh, recreated these old sets. Um, there's a lot of yeah. discussion about how they, you know, went back and watched a lot of the old episodes to get, 
the look and the feel just right. And because uh-huh. a lot of things were lost to time. I mean, again, yeah. the original series ended 30 years ago, and those sets time. had long since been, yeah, those sets had long since been cannibalized and repurposed and everything else. The model that we see for the Enterprise when it first comes on the scene is actually the original Enterprise model. Nice. They, wow. which at the time was hanging in the Smithsonian. So they had to go to the Smithsonian <laughs> so to hey. get it and, and bring it back. How right. big is it? How, how big is that thing? It's, it's actually a pretty substantial model. Now, the Enterprise-D, the original model of the Enterprise-D is huge. But um, uh, this one, uh, I there's a picture of Michael Okuda, John Westmore, and I forget who the other guy is. And they're these just these three guys that are standing there. And lengthwise, the original Enterprise spans all three of them. So it's a pretty substantial model. Now, they did say they had to do a lot of touch-ups on it because, you know, paint and stuff like that had faded over time. And, you know, there were different things that had been done to it over the years for lighting and, and everything else. So they had to, like, go back and, you know, do all that and touch it back up and uh, fix some things on it right. to use for the shooting. And then again, it went, it went back to the Smithsonian where I believe it still is. Right. So, um, and I think it's the only, it's the only Star Trek ship in the Smithsonian. They didn't do any of the other ones, which, you know, say what you want, whatever. But um, I do know that when uh, they did Star Trek, the experience in Las Vegas, the original model for the Enterprise D was hanging up there for a long time. And it was this massive model which dominated the uh, the ceiling up there. And then I believe they also had Voyager at one point was up there. But I don't know if that was the original model of Voyager or just another one that they created. But I do know that the original Enterprise D was there for a while. So they get a lot of life out of these models. And they create so many of them so they can do different things with them, you know, battle damage, blowing them up, whatever. But yeah, what we're seeing here in this one is the original model Enterprise. So um, be happy. (laughs) Um, Also want to say that that scene where uh, when Cisco and Dax first appear and they go through the doors and they're in the um, hallway of the Enterprise and they look around in wonderment and whatever else, that was all legitimate. They had been intentionally kept from the set so that they, you know, would not be spoiled to it or anything like that. So when they filmed that reaction of them, oh, really? that was, yeah, First that take. was their, yes, nice. Nice. legitimate reactions. Wow. So, uh, and they talked about how cool that is and how, you know, they were like, they really wanted to capture the element of, oh, it's so cool. We're on the Enterprise. <laughs> and that's legitimately what they got. They were just all kind of geeking out on how, how great everything looked and how right. you know they had really painted yeah. there's the one scene where it like it pines there it, it pulls back from like elevator level five or something i don't know but like the 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 the, the panel with the lettering is what i'm getting at and it it looks classic like it, mm. you've seen it in your school like it's old school it doesn't look like it's you know unique to star trek in any way but of course it's unique to the time it's special to the time special to the show at the time um so yeah i imagine that's exactly how they felt like yeah this is like we're here (laughs) now now since you've never watched the original series um uh, not not all the way anyway as you said not a complete episode how did you 
adjust to the look of that versus what we had seen in what you've seen in next generation and then of course what we're seeing now in deep space nine how did you like kind of this blast from the past and the the uniforms the hairstyles the lighting yeah what was that for you well i mean i've seen certainly seen clips of the old show so it's not like i haven't seen anything before but yeah it's just fun i mean i guess i guess the best way to explain it as as like mentioning like pulling back and you see the, the old font and it's like a font that you've seen at a building you've walked in a million times in your life, but that was the time <laughs> they were making a show about the future with what they had at the time. And it was initially just a small little show trying to be big and bold and it became what it is now. So it's, it's fun to see the growth from what it was. But the other thing is when Dax, like they're, they're showing off their suits, you know, the, yellow, the, the or uniforms, gold. the period uniforms, yeah, right? Gold was the actual command, you know, or the, the, the officers, command. You're right. And red was for the, uh, for the uh, engineers guys. and exactly. enlisted men. And so and Bashir forth. is the dumb one. He's like, oh, I don't know history. Uh, so he's our audience stand in for the moment, you know, Oh, why do you guys dress differently? And then uh, Dax says off screen and women wore nothing. <laughs> and you turn around and there she is. Her hair's all dolled up. She's got a short little skirt on and she looks fantastic but it's a different era man it was one of those yes, like that's is. the biggest blast from the past was that right yes, there it is <laughs> uh yes dax looks um fantastic in the old school uniform yeah um complete with you know the the leggings and the boots and so forth yes. <laughs> um she she looks great i mean dax she just looks great anyway but it's nice well, that you know they i mean you know this was something else yeah. and i love that you know they were you know when the guys see her and everything and i think it's bashir who says i think i'm gonna like this century yeah, yeah. you know it's just like Which you know it's funny just, because mm. then bashir later gets hit on by one of the women and her hair is also done up and she's got yes. you know really you know the, her makeup is you know is like definitely in, women were just kind of stereotypically there's the pretty that it looked nice we've moved forward this is a more you know Equal. What's the word I'm looking for? You know, the, the women are not sexualized now anymore. I mean, uh, to a degree, not not, as not much, too much not as, as it. Openly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't do the. They're they've got the makeup caked on, and then we also do the soft feather writing around their faces and stuff. Yes, we don't really yes. do all those things anymore right. um, with women, you know. Right. So. But yeah, you know, I mean, their I guess, hair is uh, perfectly, perfectly styled, and Ambassador yeah. Troy's first outfit on TNG definitely was a callback initially, and it, they they yeah. brought, they toned it down over time. But um, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just that was the funniest thing was like yeah during that time when people were kind of prudish, they actually were doing more to make the female characters oh, yeah. very feminine and very stand. <laughs> they, stand out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Kirk was a uh, man. He was every every episode. I'm sure he had some new alien lady that he was making his moves with. That so. was kind of yes. Now it wasn't every single week, but there were a lot. Kirk definitely had his way with life, which is why he often gets this, you know, Lothario label attached right. to him. But again, if you actually go back and watch a lot of the episodes, there's not that many that he's legitimately in love with or right. seemingly to be legitimately in love with. A lot of them, it's, you know, seduction is just a tool he uses because this is an enemy that is 
um, attacking him or as people. Yeah. Right. There's a there's a reason he can gain information. He can gain his freedom. Right. Something along those lines um, by by doing this. There's only yeah. There's very few where it actually seems like he's you know committed and involved. Right. And even with those few, I think there was. There's one where he like loses his memory and so he's got amnesia and this woman is taking care of him and that's why he's so into her. And then there's another where it's like despite his best efforts to not fall for her, he does anyway. So again, there's just there's not enough. There's not enough there to I feel like to really label him that way. I feel like Riker would, would get that label more. Oh yeah. Than, Riker than than Kirk. Riker ever. leaned into it. He wasn't the captain. He could be the first officer and yeah. just get away with everything because <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness, Riker. Now that one there's that a... one foot step over a chair yes. maneuver he does. The Riker yeah. maneuver. Yeah. My yeah. back hurts me. I gotta I gotta go on this chair a little different. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Find yourself a chair and do the Riker maneuver. <laughs> you do sit differently. Oh, I know. You, yeah, you're. It, it does something to you. It's like when oh, you when you when you do it and you do it well yeah. and actually sit down in the chair. It's like you can't help but be like upright. You know, it props you up a bit. So it, it's interesting. But yeah, yeah, for those of you who haven't tried it, which I'm sure enough of us have, go <laughs> go try it. Try the Riker maneuver sometime. Uh, now, speaking of things, uh, maneuvers, there is something that they do in this episode which um, a lot of the actors struggled with. And um, we see Cisco do it in the turbo lift when he's trying to get an update on what's going on. And he taps his chest to try to get in contact with the Defiant because he, you know, he's so used to his combat being there. And, of course, there's nothing there. There's a little emblem, you know, but uh, there's nothing there. Right. So then he goes to pull out the old tried and true, the classic uh, Trek communicator, and you flip it open to activate it. And so he does, and he gets his information and everything like this, and then they go back to doing business. But I wanted to bring that up because there's a nice behind-the-scenes anecdote um, that I, I love to tell, and you can you can find this story, um, especially if you, if you listen to anything from um, Walter Koenig, who played uh, Chekhov on Star Trek, the original series. So the story goes that while they were doing this faithful recreation of the sets and, you know, they're going over everything with everybody, they had reached out to as many of the original cast as they could, and they invited them to come to the set and see everything. And there's kind of this bit of a protocol that takes place whenever you are kind of stepping into their footsteps, you know, and um, they like to kind of give everybody this opportunity to be a part of it however they want to and, and so forth. So while um, there was a particular day where they were trying to work with everybody on these old props and the one prop that our DS9 cast and crew just couldn't get right was opening the communicator. They just couldn't, you know, they could flip it and it would either open too far or not enough or they'd fling it or just a bunch of stuff that just kept happening to them that they just couldn't couldn't get it right. Yeah. And so the story goes that while they were just struggling with this and trying to figure it out, a voice just kind of floats over that says, uh, let me help you with that. And it turns out that it's Walter Koenig who has come to the set to to see things and um, walks over to them. He picks up the communicator and on his first try, <laughs> flips it open 
perfectly. Right. And then he just, and he's done. And he goes, it's all in the wrist. And he gives it back <laughs> to him and disappears. And I was just like, you know what? Like that, they should film that. They should have filmed that. Somebody should have like that. It just sounds great. Uh, and and you know, this was at a time when you know, again, he wasn't involved with this show, but he was still you know doing a lot of acting stuff. And I believe at this time he was also um, on Babylon Five, which was like kind of the competing space uh, space station show yeah. at the time. I remember. Um, you know, because it was on TBS, and so like you could watch Deep Space Nine on Fox, and then as soon as it was over, you could go to TBS and watch Babylon Five if if you wanted to. Uh, at the time, I did not want to. I had, no, I had no interest in Babylon Five. Um, um, at that time, I had no interest in Babylon Five. Now I have since gone back and I've watched it, and the show is better than I ever gave it credit for. It does struggle in some areas, but. Um, there are some there do some great things on there as well, which we're not gonna talk about that now. But I'm just saying he was he was around, he was doing things. And I just like to think that in in addition to having been invited to come and see this thing, that he was probably also working somewhere on another set. So his character on Babylon Five is also this kind of creepy, shadowy figure, mm-hmm. you know? So it just kind of fits in my head that he was probably dressed in all of his Babylon Five Regalia, you know, he, he like he always wore this. He like his character wore like this this all black suit with black gloves and everything. And he and that was what his character used to do on the show too was like just appear out of the shadows and 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 say stuff and be kind of creepy, you know. And so it's like I just I just love that in my head. That's how I imagine it is that he was probably done filming there. He walked across to the other set, still dressed. He saw them having this issue and just really creepily walked out and said, let me help you with that. And they were just like, you know, one part, awe, one part terror, like what the hell is this dude, you know? And then he does it, says his line and then disappears. (laughs) And it's just like, was that real? Did that really just happen? Like that's how I imagined that in my head when they right. when they told that story right. um, uh, a few times. So, right. but I do love the fact that he did come back and was um, was there to kind of give his blessing for them to do this. Right. Now, Tribbles, we ah. have to turn our attention to Tribbles. We do. These little furry creatures that basically are born pregnant and have mouths and consume everything seem mostly harmless and I guess are the Star Trek equivalent of what cats I guess yeah that seems to be quite it seems to be right in terms of softness and size but they make those little cooing noises that sound an awful lot what is that sound that they sound like they sound it's like a weird trilling yeah it's like a weird kind of cooing trilling sound that they make like there's some sort of movie or show where they have a radar and i I, the first time i heard the sound i thought someone was using a tricorder to like do some sort of sonar thing and then no it's the yeah it's a little thing and i guess that was the sound from the original show right like they went they got that sound yeah that's the original sound they did not deviate that at all and in fact you can buy tribbles um, that make that sound now. Little, you know, obviously model tribbles. You can buy them that that do that, <laughs> and so forth. Um, the real thing, but buy at your own risk. <laughs> if they existed, 
Yeah. Oh, um, and Tribbles have a nice long um, history with Trek, obviously, from the original uh, series to this, to even the newer shows have uh, used Tribbles. Um, Discovery has a little, like, short Treks episode where they talk about Tribbles, and uh, they actually turn Tribbles into a breakfast food. Um, so if you're interested, go and watch that. There's a planet that has a, yeah... There's a planet that has a food shortage, and so Tribbles are the solution because they breed <laughs> so quickly. Um, tribbles are the solution. Oh, my um, goodness. That's hilarious. And then even in Picard, there is a genetically modified Tribble that is being contained in this um, lab, warehouse, whatever. But it's, like, hyper-aggressive. And uh, when they walk past the little tank that it's in, it launches itself at the screen and the mouth opens and you see nothing but row upon row of razor sharp teeth and it's snarling and dripping and nasty. And it's like, yeah, that's not the same cuddly Tribble that we're we're used to. Hmm. So they've kept Tribbles going, but uh, I definitely prefer the, the 60s version of Tribble, not the Picard <laughs> version of Tribble. Okay. Um, so now, as Worf says to us about the Tribbles, they were a blight that, um, caused all kinds of panic and chaos in the Klingon Empire to the point that where the Klingons sent out a bunch of warriors and ships to scour the galaxy to wipe out the Tribbles. They eventually found the Tribble homeworld and eliminated them. Um, this had to have occurred... I guess right around the time of of Kirk and Spock and all them, and maybe maybe a little bit before, because also in in the show Enterprise, which takes place about a hundred years before Kirk and Spock and, and the original series, um, we know the Tribbles exist there, and uh, the Doctor says that um, the the Tribbles he they. They have an exponential population. They, you know, they're mostly harmless. And he says, well, the only thing that keeps them in check, keeps their population in check, is the abundance of lizards and reptiles on their planet. Mm, So that means that the planet still exists in the 22nd century. But we see that by the 23rd century with Arn Garvin, when Kirk uses the Tribble to expose Garvin as a Klingon, Mm -hmm. So the Tribbles have learned to have this reaction to Klingons. So that means that it had to have occurred within that 100-year time span that this would have become a genetic memory for Tribbles to Uh, hate Klingons. uh, Maybe. I guess the way I thought of it was that uh, in the 100 years since the original series episode that we're going back to in our episode is when it happened. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense no so i think that, i'm i'm i don't think i'm explaining the timeline to you uh, well no no, no i just, just let me say what i'm thinking tell me i'm wrong i the way i see it is that the klingons were at the peak of their hatred and they were like shortly after this episode in the past the original series episode that is shortly thereafter is when they do it when okay. Sisk, when when Worf tells the story he, he was telling it as in 
like we're right around the corner from the great <laughs> triple genocide. Well, because yeah, because well, because because Worf is telling the story, but from his frame of reference, he's still thinking about himself being from the 24th century, yes. and he says a long time ago we right. wiped them out. So now I'm taking that. So we're going a long time ago. So now we know that we, for at least for this episode, we've jumped back a hundred years. Right. So now at this point, we see the tribbles reacting with young. Arn Garvin the same right. way they do Worf, right. which says that at some point before that, the yeah. Tribbles would have had to have been devastated by Klingons and to have this memory that's of a hate. Explanation yeah. Of so yeah. then, so then that means that sometime before the original Garvin and all of them had it. So and then that leads us to Enterprise, which takes place a hundred years before Kirk and them. So that means right. that. Yeah, there's there's that there's probably a fifty to seventy five year span right. where that's all that the Klingons did was go around <laughs> killing turn, triples. They, they basically turn into giant you know rat exterminators. Yeah, for a couple decades or something. Um, actually, quickly on that point, so they say that um, Kirk's Enterprise is the first Enterprise, but the show Enterprise, how does that fit into the whole? So, so. The way that that works out, because you're absolutely correct, <laughs> um, it's been basically that Kirk's Enterprise is the first named Enterprise in Starfleet, whereas the show Enterprise, Starfleet doesn't technically exist the way that we think of it. It's at that point, when the when that when the show Enterprise is launched, there is no United Federation of Planets. There is no you and know, they coalition named or whatever. Ship Enterprise in honor of that right. ship. Got it. Right. So thought. now we have, yeah, because now we have. Explanation was, but I just wanted yeah. to be sure. Yeah. Yeah, because now, because by the time Kirk and them come around, the United Federation of Planets has been around for 150 years or whatever it is. It's a strong coalition, and this is the, an honorific title being passed down to this first of its class constitution ship. The Constitution class was a brand new class of vessel that had been launched, and what better name for this brand new class of vessel than the Enterprise? It already has a historic legacy on Earth as it is. So are all of them Constitution class, or do they get updated class names every generation? So as – yeah, so each one is a different class, and it's based upon design or whatever it is. Like Kirk's is the Constitution class, which there are a couple of Constitution classes that they use. Then the – so, yeah, the Enterprises – let's see. The first Enterprise and the Enterprise A are both Constitution classes. The Enterprise B is Excelsior class. The Enterprise C is Ambassador class. The Enterprise D is Galaxy class. Which is TNG. Yes, which is TNG. And then when the new one comes out, that one will be Sovereign class. And then the the original NX-01 one doesn't have a class. It's just NX class. Now you will see an X. I just want to say it's a fun history to explore. This fictional history of this and that. Those. Yes. Yeah. There's a reason people love lore. Yes, it really is. Favorite show. Yeah, our favorite book series. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. And no, it's it's fine. (laughs) But each of those classes also has like those designations mean certain things. Like there's a reason for like the galaxy class, for example, was designed to be a long 
long-term, long-range vessel. Once launched, it was, you know, I the ideal for it was once launched, it would not have to stop and resupply or do anything for upwards of 50 years. Like, that ship would just go, right. you know? And just, again, because it was all about exploration and also colonization, you know? So if you get far enough out and you need to put down, you know, roots or whatever this ship can do it it can also function as a you know a kind of a command carrier if that need ever arose um the sovereign class kind of takes that and then just you know moves more into the militaristic vein so it's a it's a very powerful very fast ship which you'll see when we get there Um, but it's designed to be a fighter it's designed to really be able to hold its own both with offense and defense Um, the ambassador class was more about um, like escort missions diplomatic missions um, things of that nature some scientific missions and so forth um what else? The Constitution class was, again, that kind of exploratory class, but um, it did have some military leanings as well. It was supposed to be very powerful um, as well. So then the Excelsior class was the science class. That one is the more geared towards your long-term, long-term exploration, but also sciences and research and so forth. So I think that covers all of them. Right. Constitution, Excelsior, Ambassador... Galaxy, sorry, yes, that's all. Gotcha. And then, you know, you have other classes of ships like Voyager is an Intrepid class ship, which again was designed primarily for science, but it's also considered a short range vehicle, which really sucks when you consider that it was then thrown into the Delta Quadrant. So yeah, not, not short range at all, but uh, yeah, definitely not equipped to be out very far for very long. But, of course, they make do. And then we see other classes of ships that come through, you know, Olympic and and so forth. But, yeah, those are the main ones. Right. Okay. Until we get to the Enterprise J, which I believe is universe class, if I'm remembering correctly. And it's huge. (laughs) It's huge. Yeah. If I remember the dimensions correctly, the saucer section alone is supposed to be something like 10 miles wide. So, um, <laughs> 10 miles. Yeah. 10, 10 miles. Go for a jog. You can get over a right. on that one, just running back and forth. <laughs> I mean, you need, to have a, you need to have a car just to get yeah. to the bridge. Yeah, turbo lifts are uh, quite valued. <laughs> no, yeah, you get in a turbo lift, you're in there for a couple of hours yeah. to, get to, to get to where you need to be, depending on where you're going. So, no, I wouldn't, yeah, no. I, I couldn't imagine serving on a ship that's uh, 10 miles across. But it's, yeah. most, it's again, it's the, it's the largest one when it gets made. And then there's other classes like the Enterprise EF is Odyssey class. And that's supposed to be a pretty big one, too. And that one's in Star Trek Online. So if you're ever curious, you can either go look it up or go play the game. And you can get the Odyssey class ship as well. And then the G... Enterprise is a Constitution refit, remodel, classification, something like that. That one's the one that's featured in um, Star Trek Picard. And it's like they kind of retconned the Constitution and upgraded the look a little bit to give us this kind of nostalgic throwback with an update in technologies. It's a kind of weird hodgepodge. I didn't really enjoy that one that much. So, whatever. 
But that's it. That's the history of the Enterprises as we know it. So that, that's the Enterprises G, and then we have HI, and then eventually J, where we get to the, the universe class. So I don't know what the H and the I are going to look like um, to get there to make a justification for a universe class ship, but I'm sure somewhere someone is working on it. Well, we talked about the history of the Enterprise, but there's one thing in this episode, the history of the Klingons, that gets briefly yes. and quiet and quickly dismissed. <laughs> yes, as Worf says, it is a private matter. We do not discuss it. Um, <laughs> Great line. Yep, it's there. We're not going to try and address it at all. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, we, we can because it is actually addressed. No, I mean, I meant the, the showrunners were saying oh. that. They were like, yeah, so, this is... This is a hot potato. We're not going to even try. So that, so the backstory on that is also kind of interesting because obviously, with the with, back in the '60s when they had the Klingons and the way they'd done them up, it was basically a lot of just you know dark makeup, right? right. And um, you know the sets being what they were back then and budgets being where what they were back then, they couldn't afford a lot of prosthetics and whatever else, but makeup was cheap. Right. So right. that was what they, what they used. So now when, you know, money is better and production is better and so forth. And we have Klingons now, they get the full development like Worf, you know, it's kind of like when Worf first popped up and they said he was a Klingon, that was just huge. He's not right. a Klingon. We know what Klingons look like, you know, that, yeah. but it was, it was never talked about. It was never discussed. Right. And so then here we come into this episode and, you know, the, they do this and speculation had already been running wild. How were they going to address <laughs> Worf being face to face with these Klingons from a hundred and something years ago when they looked right. like this, what happened? And so we see, you know, um, Bashir and Odo and O'Brien, they're like, those are Klingon. Like what happened to them? Some kind of mutation, genetic divergence, some viral mutation. What is it? And Worf's like, we don't discuss it with outsiders. <laughs> so, and then we're just kind of left with that. Now, it's funny to note that the things that O'Brien and companies ask Worf as to the reason behind what happened was this a viral mutation, genetic engineering, so forth. Those were actually pulled directly from um, fan bases because obviously <laughs> this had been this had been argued online a For lot as a to what happened. At this point. Yeah. Y yes. So. Yeah. So they threw those in there into the script, and yeah, Worf was just like, "No, we're not going to talk about it." Right. Now it's interesting to note that. Um, this topic comes up a couple of times in Star Trek, and it's actually first really dealt with in Enterprise, where the Klingons um, have basically become aware that there are certain human factions out there that are experimenting with their genome to make them make themselves stronger and more resilient, because Klingons are kind of these apex warriors, and right. you know humans don't really stand a chance against them. So becoming aware that these people are trying to make themselves better and stronger, the Klingons decide to kind of do the same thing. They right. get a hold of this augment uh, genetic um, engineering, and they attempt to use it to make better, stronger Klingons. However, the augmented DNA that they use was based off of augmented humans. Right. So when injected into Klingons, it does make some of them better, stronger, whatever, but it changes their physiology, and so they end up looking more like humans, humans than That's, Klingon. That is exactly how I thought it was going to be. It was an example of 
the prosthetics that we've seen many times, even of the character who's discovered to be a Klingon in this very episode, that they did some sort of genetic mm-hmm. experiment of some kind, and this is the group that's affected. And yes. they're maybe some sort of outside group that our, yes. our original cast interacted with, um, but the larger Klingon society is is actually behind the scenes in these episodes that we're seeing again yes. from the original show and that that was the explanation so that that fits yes. with what i thought happened that makes sense mm-hmm. and so those klingons then they they kind of become outcasts within klingon society but klingons ultimately value warriors over anything else right. so they're able to through battles and skirmishes and everything else they are ultimately able to prove themselves and gain some notoriety some recognition right. which leads to them you know establishing houses to themselves and getting married having children and passing Passing on these genetic anomalies, which is why they propagate so quickly, but also why it eventually begins to die, die out, out. Yes, because yes. the Klingon genome is also very robust. Yes. So without the continued modifications and uh, genetic engineering, it would the strain of altered Klingon would eventually would die out, and that's. And that's what happens. And that's what we end up... That's like why they kind of revert back. It's yeah. a perfect sci-fi explanation. Yeah. We had yeah. a genetic experiment and blah, blah, it blah. It went horribly and... awry. Yeah. We, re- we, we recognized our mistake. We promised we'll never do it again. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it's interesting to note because, like, it, it has a lingering impact on Klingons. And it's used again in Discovery because the Klingons that we see in Discovery are pre genetic modification and those Klingons look severe they look I mean they're very different they're very you know very kind of you know well alien and you know very animalistic and a lot of people don't like the Klingons on uh, Discovery for this reason they they just look they just look bizarre and um, it's explained that these Klingons, again, they're pre-genetic modification. So then as that genetically modified DNA eventually gets out and gets intermixed into the greater gene pool, you will see the Klingons overall change. And so they will eventually get to the point where they look more in line with Worf. Yes. And, um, and, and, and that's it. Now, this has been used as a way to explain why Worf's look... Basically, they do a lot of this explanations to protect Worf, because Worf is kind of a, not kind of, but he is our central Klingon figure, yes. and it's like, we can't have his look change. Right. People would be, people would murder us if we did a movie with Michael Dorn, and he looked like one of these old throwback oh, yeah. Klingons or whatever. We, yeah. we can't. So we have right. to make sure that no matter what we do with Klingons, we must protect Worf at all costs. That's kind of <laughs> how it's kind of how it's come down. And right. so it's interesting the way that that character has really made them like stretch themselves on fixing this lore and stuff and yeah. giving us those explanations because they're absolutely right. If yeah. you ruin Worf, like we're coming for you. Like I will personally come. I will take <laughs> off work and I will go find Wherever that writer. You are. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I will find you. I have a certain <laughs> set of skills, and I will find you. <laughs> so, um, but yes, uh, that that's basically what it was. It was we must right. protect. We must protect Worf. Must protect Michael Dorn. And, and I, I just love that got. they address it because they had to. Worf yeah. gives the explanation. We're not going to talk about it. And as you said, they brought in the fan theories. 
but it's yep. also great because when um the whole the reason that scene is funny to start off is because when Odo first goes to the bar or he gets approached by the the girl to ask what he wants, he says Ractigino. And she's like, "Oh, that's the second time today." And so when they come back and Klingons have been beaming aboard the station, uh, she's like, "I keep asking for Ractigino's. Why does it Ractigino?" Like, "What do you mean?" They're like, "Well, all these Klingons want them." And you're like, "Klingons." And they look around and it's mm. it looks like just normal guys in the background. So for someone who like me who hasn't seen the original show, I, yeah, I was like, uh, what? <laughs> it was, no. It, but I understood the history of Klingons being yeah. uh, fixed or at least changed for uh, TNG and then for Worf and therefore every other Klingon. So it was so fun the, to be a part of that yeah. experience. Yeah. So the only part of it that really flies out the window, unfortunately, is Kang, Koloth, and Kor. We we see them we see them on Deep Space Nine and they're full Klingon right. However, they did appear in the original series, so they were in yes, and they were and they were not all forehead wrinkled up and so forth. Now, thankfully. Again, Enterprise took care of this. Oh. Enterprise gives us an explanation for this, which is that for people who were, for Klingons who basically were of a high enough rank and prestige, they could get the modification, the cure. Yeah, they could get the cure for it right. and have their full Klingonness restored to them. Right. And so while we don't see this, it's right. kind of alluded to the fact that this is what must have eventually happened to yeah, them in order to yeah because they're like they're they're legendary they're famous so at some point it must have happened to them and uh they they became true klingons again but yes um yeah that that's that's that for them but that's Maybe only you if you watch the, episode. the original uh characters look at the oh yeah show just to see you should like. <laughs> you should i mean they're basically i mean they're just they got the caked on makeup to make their skin darker and then they've got the you know the the mustache and all this you know um you know and um let me think who was it not not kang no it is kang he sounds i mean he's so his voice is so gruff you know um i yeah definitely him in his prime I, i liked him a lot so um yeah uh, yeah, go check them out. They're, that, it's that, fun. It's it fun reminds me because when uh, Dax realizes that Koloth is going to be there, she wants to see him. But when she sees Dr. Bones, what is it? Uh, Dr. Leonard McCoy, yeah, also McCoy. known as Bo- also known as Bones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, she says, uh, I knew he was going to be a surgeon. He had surgeon's hands. <laughs> My previous host met him at a dance competition or something. Yeah. He got the uh, hands of a surgeon. Turns out Dax then, is just as much a horn dog as anybody else. Well, yeah, yeah, Dax is <laughs> not, not not Jadzia, but Dax well, is yes, because yeah, I mean, Dax gets around apparently. Where does, where does Jadzia more, end and Dax begin? Right? <laughs> hey, that's the true blending. You know, there's you know, so and that's the other thing: the many lives of Dax and trying to figure out who it could have been. Right. Um, if you're tra- if if you do the breakdown of the characters. Uh, that she or the names anyway that she's given, it would have had to have been Emily Dax. Yes. Um, yes. in order for that to work. Right. But um, yeah, because I think it was her 
second host, the second Dax host. So yeah, that would have been the one that very meant. Early on. Yeah, very, very early. This reminds not... me, talking about this, I know I already mentioned that Bashir gets hit on by a, another woman, but mm-hmm. he starts thinking back and he's like, wait a minute, my great-grandmother was in the Federation and I never, we never met my great-grandfather. Does that, do I need to meet her at that, you know, she says, I'm having a physical tomorrow morning at 1500. So, you know, I'll see you there. And he's all like, wait a minute. Am I my own great grandfather? Right. He's like trying to tell O'Brien. Is this a predestination paradox? (laughs) Yes. And it's so creepy. It's like, bro, shut up. Are you listening to yourself? Get back (laughs) to business. I can't wait. I just can't wait to see your face when we get back to the future and you find out I was never born. And he's just like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, problem solved. Yeah, Brian's like, that actually would be great. Oh man! See, this oh. is a fun episode. It's so it really much is. fun, yeah. And it introduces it really so is. many different things. Um, last thing I do want to talk about because we are getting close to the end of our time here. Um, our temporal agents, our temporal agents who have come to investigate their names in this episode, Luxley and Domer. Um, you might have noticed. I mean, those are pretty odd names for individuals, but those are apparently anagrams of. Mulder and Scully. I read that on the Wikipedia page. Yeah. So I did not realize uh, this. So, you know, yeah. X Files was quite the popular show uh, back then. It would have been running at the same time, you yeah. know, so you would have been able to watch Deep Space Nine and then a couple hours later, um, uh, the X Files would have came on. So this is their little wink and nod tribute to to them as well kind of the all things sci-fi we've got all this great sci-fi-ness that was going on at the time so yeah, yeah. there you go Mulder and Scully say, made it to the 24th century I love their introduction I already mentioned how dour they are but when they come oh, yeah. to the station Dax says huh I guess you guys are always on time huh and they don't take it they are rolling their eyes so hard they've heard this joke a million freaking times and when you know they who go, they and they go see Cisco, and he's like, "You guys don't like jokes, do you?" Or, or something like that. And they say something. And yeah, he's, yeah like he says he you. said, uh, and he said, "You don't." He said, "Was this an accident, or do you think it was a predestination paradox?" He's like, "A what? That you were predestined to go back in time, do things?" Oh no, it was an accident. He's like, "Good, because we hate those." And then he says something else. He's like, "Yeah, we hate those too." Yeah, jokes too. Yeah. You know, you know what they reminded me of? They reminded me of me. In the and, and but but in the sense of, you know how many times I'm asked how tall I am, oh, what size I'm shoe sure. I wear, like yeah. I, that that deadpan delivery when people like want to and you're just yeah. like, it's not even it's and, it's not even Gary, that it's tell the story you told me about the best comeback you and your friend had to are you guys football players? Oh, basketball players was it basketball players they asked so, you? Are you guys basketball so so. They, it was no. We were asking we were football players, but the thing is, we were we were on our way. We were walking into a Walmart, yeah. And at the time, I was in college, and I had, um, you know, we had just come from a meeting and from football meeting and everything else. And I'm dressed head to toe in football gear. My sweatsuit has a giant football on it. It says football across the middle. I'm wearing these these track pants that have a football on the thigh and then on the other side it's just like it's got like the stripes and stuff and I mean, like there was nothing about me that said any other sport other than football and so we're walking in and this guy goes uh 
do you, he goes, yeah, hey, do you guys, do you guys play football? And I was like, nope, we're Olympic volleyball players. And he just stared and I was like, yeah, we're in town competition. And he's just, just like, I don't know if he had like prepared a joke or thought it was going to be funny or what, but like my whole, just, I was completely just deadpan. I was like, nope, we're Olympic volleyball players. And he just, it, it broke his brain. But that was, I mean, I used to say that. I used to say um, um, underwater basket weavers was another one. Um, pretty much any other sport except for football or basketball because those were too easy. Because, again, I'm 6'8", so, you know, it was too easy to go there. Right. So I was like, nope. And uh, and I also love to do the whole, like, when someone would ask, and especially if I was wearing something that said football on it, I would, like, look down at it first and be like, mm-mm, nope, <laughs> just keep going. Like, yeah. you know, just, just but, yeah, I, I get that. I get when people, you know, I don't know if, every, if everybody thinks they're clever or that no one has said the thing before, but it's well, like, I, trust me, trust me, whatever yes. it is you're thinking about saying to right. that person who is super tall, yes. super short, whatever yes. it is, trust me, whatever it is you think you're about to say, they've heard it at I'll least, at times. least a dozen yeah. times, at yeah. least. Yeah. So just stop. Just don't. Just say hi. Or, was, or better yet, say nothing. I learned this the hard way. I, it was years ago. There was a couple at church, and they both had the same last name. They got engaged. And when I, fir- when I first heard this, I was talking to them. They both had the same last name. So what are you guys going to do about that? Like, I don't remember what I said exactly. But their response was, I mean, like, these were, like, nice people. Like, what, like the guy was, like, He's young, but, like, he's one of those, like, he's going to be participating in church activities throughout his entire life, you know. Anyway, but their reaction was so – we always get that. that We always get that question. It was, And I felt so embarrassed. It was one of those moments where, like, oh, my gosh, I'm that guy. I just did the thing. And so anytime I ever think of, like, I'm going to make a smart comment – there, I've made smart comments and I've smacked myself in the forehead afterward. But there are times now when I try to be like, I know you've probably heard this before, <laughs> and then say oh. the thing that I think I'm. That one, that mind. one gets yeah. me too. Is uh, you know, I'm I'm sure you've heard this before, or I'm sure you get this a lot, or you know, something along those lines. Right. And it's like I just my response. I always like I try to be. I do try to be polite right. especially since now you know i have a I have a little one in tow so i can't just <laughs> you know I, I i as much as i want to i can't right. um but it's like i just want to say when they say that i wanted to stop them be like okay just stop right there yes if you're sure that i've heard it before don't say it yeah just just don't yeah. don't waste my time don't waste your time don't say it let's just keep going we'll pretend like this never happened yeah Oh, it's it's just, just get six uh, eight tattooed on your forehead, Perry. And that oh. question will be solved. Actually, when I was in my um, speech class, I did that. I got I had little cards printed up <laughs> that had my name, my height, what position I played, how long I had played sports. No, I wasn't interested in any other sport. Like all these things, and so that's what I would do whenever we would like we had to do these introductions and stuff, <laughs> and I would just pass them out, and I was just like there. Boom, done. done. I and, solved this for you. Yeah, I was like, here, here's everything that you want to know. Um, 
my yeah, my name, my height, what position I play, the air appears fine. Um, <laughs> you know, just you know, just stuff like that. Just because uh, yes, yeah. I've heard it. I've heard it all. Right, right. Don't waste your time. Yeah. yeah, you know, go. Uh, yes, I wear. Yeah, you know, shoe size twenty. Yes, twenty. It, yes, that is it's yes, 20. twenty. Yes, you know, it's stuff like that. Because I mean, it was like you would say it, and people just would not believe you. And it's just yeah. like, oh. So yeah, so yeah, I, I get these guys. I really do. In that whole, oh, let's yeah. just let's just do this. Let, yeah, we we don't want to be here any more than you want us here. So yes. let's help each other out and get this right. done so we can get the hell out of here. Which is also why at the very last scene when when Cisco is wrapping up and they say, "Is there anything else?" He says, "Oh, there's one more thing." I went and talked to Kirk. Basically, yeah, and the guy was like, "Okay, well, we." We understand. I would have done the same done the thing, same which thing. Yeah. I, I think anybody which, would. Which is funny when he says that, because the taller guy next to him, he rolls his eyes at the other one when he says that, which I loved. It's a perfect acting moment where, like, only a really good actor would know to to make that character have a reaction in the background yeah. to the other character. So it was a great yeah. little moment. Great little finale to the episode. Um, Kira know. is still pregnant, by the way. She figured out how to use the time profit or whatever so, you want to call it like pretty quick so yes yeah. so so while nana has given birth to her baby by now ah. kira has not oh. so she must still be pregnant that's why and plus you know and that's another reason why she probably wasn't featured as heavily in this episode was right. because she was returning to work post delivery she was ah. probably still feeling a bit you know out of sorts and this just this gave her another opportunity to just rest extra yes. You yeah, know, she was in charge um, of Defiant during all the shenanigans. Yeah, but that's all. Yeah, so so yeah, but we're getting ready to see the triumphant return of of Kira Nerys here. So go. don't worry. Now you know there. I was reading this thing online that was basically saying that um, Deep Space Nine, um, the two main characters on the show are Cisco and Kira, and. <laughs> um, I I love the breakdown that they gave, and that's something I'm look, going to look forward to getting into with you in our next episodes when we get to get back into the groove of things with Kira, because I think an argument could be made that that is correct, that the two main characters are Kira and um, Cisco, well, because if they have for that second place position. Then yeah, yeah, it would, yeah, yeah, definitely. When you consider character development, which again we'll get into soon, um, the uh, uh, yeah, the, those two are probably the top. Um, anything else for this episode, though? Oh, no, man, we woo, almost an hour and a half of talking, so yeah. we got a lot, we had a lot to say this time. <laughs> you know, I will say that I think that it would be interesting if they did a Star Trek show in which it was all about those temporal agents, just so that we could see them go back and interact with different crews and stuff. And it's like, on the one hand, I'm sure that it would be expensive to kind of film that kind of intersplicing or whatever. But on right. the other, I'm like, how much, I mean, how much more longevity could you get out of some of these characters and stuff when you get to recut certain things and right. use certain dialogue and stuff again? Uh, and it would, I think it would be a great fan service episode too to see like, this is why certain things panned out because unbeknownst to our main cast and crew here uh this other team was working in the shadows and fixing stuff and and whatever um i think that would be very interesting to to see but i don't think that'll ever happen not with the way that trek is going these days anyway so whatever yeah 
Well, uh, as I said, I think that kind of wraps everything up for us here on Trials and tribulation, or Tribulations. Um, definitely go and watch the episode. And then, you know what? Go and watch the original um, The Trouble with Tribbles episode from the 60s. And just, you know, you can really see a lot of differences in the episodes. But there's so much great things to, so many great things to take away from both these episodes. And that's why I think they continue to be fan favorites and are listed as classics, understandable classics for the Trek franchise in general. Um, whether any other episodes or tra- or TV shows are going to do anything else with Tribbles and time travel, who knows? Um, but that's been us for the fire caves. You can of course listen to us anywhere that you have listened to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. And of course you can find us live every weekend on YouTube, on our YouTube channel of the same name. So go ahead and check us out there. Leave us a comment. If you'd like any questions you have, of course, we'd love to hear from you in any shape or form. But again, remember be polite because if you're not, we're not going to answer you. So there you go. But until next time, guys, take care of yourselves. Thanks guys.